you know, when he talks about the kind of small kindnesses that we can all do for each other that can make all the difference in the world. I'm not ashamed to say that I cried, ladies and gentlemen. My small ounce of human emotion, I it overflowed. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is episode 63. I'm uh, One Take Adams, and because Anita, our alpha wolf, has been taken out by hunters, or perhaps has just decided to go her own lonely road, I'm taking the lead on this fugitive journey with my fellow wayward wolf cub, Carolyn Pettit. Hey, Caro. That was not pre-planned, folks. That is the kind of extemporaneous entertainment you're going to get from this week's episode. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love, or alternatively, we're the feminist killjoys coming for your media, depending on your perspective. Today, we're going to be talking about the recently released second chapter of the narrative game, Life is Strange 2. After that, we'll finish the show by each sharing a little something in What's Your Freak Out? Or What's Your Deal? I'm in the captain's chair. I'm bringing it back. Oh, snap. (laughs) Now, on with the show. Carolyn, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, I'm actually at Anita's place uh, looking after schnookums. As I think I've said before, I like to think of myself as a a co-parent because I spend a good deal of time looking after Anita's cat when Anita's not around. And I'm just having a great time getting some quality time in with my fluffy little friend and, you know, who I miss now that she doesn't live in uh, the Bay Area with with near me anymore. So, and, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a lovely neighborhood here. The weather's been been great. So I've been having a lovely week just kind of strolling around the neighborhood, you know, digging the chance to be in LA for a bit. Are you pretending like you're in an Airbnb? Uh, ooh, well, I can't quite do that because the one thing about Tig is she like tends to track litter uh, all over the place, her kitty litter. And so I'm kind of constantly on like cleanup duty trying to mitigate, you know, fight the battle against the, the, the growing mountains of kitty litter that are just collecting all over the uh, the house. So, you know, there's definitely work involved on my part. Or a little more housekeeping than would a little normally more, be involved <laughs> in yeah, Airbnb. A little, maybe yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. Let me ask you this. How much longer are you in L.A.? Uh, about another, like, six days, I think. Six days. Uh, I just want to make it clear that when I tell people that I live in L.A., you and Anita and people who know me uh, realize that when I say L.A., I actually mean north of the city. <laughs> like, I don't live in L.A. proper. Yeah, the, so greater, it makes... the greater Los Angeles area. Exactly. It definitely exurban. Listen, the fact that you've been here for like a week already are going to be here for essentially another week. And yet it's unlikely that we will hook up saddens oh, yeah. me. So <laughs> I'm hoping to get a lot of, you know, intimate conversation time, either on the mic or off the mic. Uh, for this show. But before we get into that, you know, just talking about our lives, can you give me some pop culture news? You know I can bring it. All right. So so this episode, we're recording it like uh, a week ahead of its air date. So so this news may not be piping fresh by the time it reaches you, the listener. But and you might be thinking, why aren't they talking about this big, you know, story that just happened yesterday and that's because it hasn't it hasn't happened yet so uh so so you know my apologies for that but enjoy this you know this uh reheated microwave leftovers pop culture news from last week okay you are really selling it i mean you know look people we can't we can't pull out all the stops week after week after week you know you gotta you know, we get, we're slumming it here a little bit this week. Um, so uh, recently, The Atlantic uh, published a damning new piece about director Brian Singer, including interviews with four more people who have come forward, uh, you know, with accusations uh, uh, about their experiences being abused uh, by, by the director. However, Brian Singer is nonetheless still slated to direct a new Red Sonja film. Now, Millennium Films, the studio which has hired Singer to direct the new Red Sonja movie, actually responded um, to the sort of controversy about them leaving Singer in the director's chair uh, with a statement from producer Avi Lerner, which, and uh, that statement read, 
uh, I, con- I continue to be in development for Red Sonia, and Brian Singer continues to be attached. The over $800 million Bohemian Rhapsody has grossed, making it the highest-grossing drama in film history, is testament to his remarkable vision and acumen. I know the difference between agenda-driven fake news and reality, and I am very comfortable with this decision. Uh, in America, people are innocent until proven otherwise. So obviously, like, his use of the term fake news, you yeah. know, is super gross. Like, uh, he, um, I mean, if you say that it, it, without irony, I just peg you immediately as, like, a like a Trump. An uh, idiot. <laughs> yeah, an idiot or, like, yeah, a Trump supporter. Um but, uh, you know, so so he's just completely kind of blowing off uh, all the concerns. Um, you know, thankfully, actor Anthony Rapp did, you know, sort of come forward on Twitter and and just really lay it down and say, uh, you know, a, you know, anyone, any actor who agrees to work on this project is enabling an abuser. Like he just laid it out like that. And hopefully that may have a chilling effect on you know on the project and and its ability to cast actors as long as Brian Singer remains in the in the director's chair. Yeah, Brian Singer and uh, Kevin Spacey both um sort of, you know, retreated into this super gross defensive stance whereby any criticism of them was characterized as homophobic, you know, which was so heinous of them because the problem um, is is not that these are gay men. The problem is that these are predators and that these are abusers and calling out that behavior is not homophobic. Now, yeah, we certainly should be conscious of the ways in which we, um, you know, uh, characterize their behaviors, um, but but the the fact of calling them out and calling out what they've done is not in and of itself homophobic, and they are not um, like they should they should not have any refuge from the consequences of what they've done um, because they both have it like their personal identity um, is is a marginalized one. Like it was just so gross the idea, you know that like these young men are lying or these stories are are fake um because you know uh hollywood or the greater public has it in for gay men you know like y'all please please that's not what's going on here and the the story in the atlantic was just oh my god like it's just brutal to to read what these young men went through particularly these victims these survivors who are still blaming themselves because as a method of of dealing with this trauma and and maybe like trying to hold on to some bit of um of agency and autonomy you know you will find them saying things like you know i was i was into it you know i was 17 and you know i wanted to party and so you know part of me you know wonders how much of this i brought on myself no you you didn't bring this on yourself you were in um, a situation in which someone with vastly uh, more amounts of power than you took advantage of you and exploited you. You are not to blame in any way. Brian Singer, fuck you. And fuck you, Avi Lerner. Yes, extremely, extremely. All right. So uh, in other uh, entertainment news, the Best Picture, you know, or actually rather the Oscar nominations have been announced since uh, since our last recording. And they, in many ways, they left a lot to be desired. I mean, mm-hmm. a- as we feared, Green Book, you know, is nominated for Best Picture and and Beale Street is not nominated, which, which is just blows, this... Which blows my mind. I know. Absolutely I mean, blows my mind. I mean, what a... T- I mean, you know, what is it with uh, white voters who kind of need these, uh, these like, racial reconciliation, you know, movies, and I guess who are just kind of made uncomfortable or turned off by films that actually confront uh, systemic racism and uh, white supremacy and... Um, and don't give viewers an easy way out, right? Which uh, Green Book very much, very much does. But you know, um, as as frustrating and disappointing as that and other other elements are, I do want to say that I'm, you know, I was very pleased to see that uh, Yalitza um, Yalitza Aparicio, and I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that right, but Yalitza Aparicio is uh, nominated for um, the the category is called Best Actress. I, I kind of I 
don't like the word actress, generally speaking. Uh, it's, a, you know, such a weirdly gendered term. But so the, she is the second ever Mexican woman and the first ever indigenous woman to be nominated for Best Actress at the Academy Awards. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Her performance in Roma is so delicate, sort of uh, internal, like deeply, deeply felt, um, really, uh, you know, she really is the center of that film and she carries it with such strength, such like quiet strength and dignity and power. And, um, you know, I, I think I think it's it's great. And um, so before the nominations were announced, the New York Times asked her what an Oscar might mean to her. And she responded, I'd be breaking the stereotype that because we're indigenous, we can't do certain things because of our skin color. Receiving that nomination would be a break from so many ideas. It would open doors to other people, to everyone, and deepen our conviction that we can do these things now. So, you know, obviously it's very personally significant for her, and I do hope that it has more far-reaching effects um, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we talk about one of the, um, the, the benefits of services like Netflix or Amazon, um, you know, folks have, have made the argument that we absolutely would not see some of the stories that we are seeing or some of the, the great talent that we're seeing without this multiplicity of new venues and alternative ways of seeing, because it's doubtful that a film like Roma would have opened widely in theaters uh, and that, you know, people across the, the globe would have had an opportunity to enjoy that film were it not for a, a service like Netflix. So big ups. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. You know, the fact that it, if Netflix can use their power for good and and showcase, you know, showcase stories th- uh, uh, about people that center people who normally who typically have not been centered in um, in, you know, Hollywood movies or in movies that get uh, uh, support and financial backing and attention, um, then then, uh, you know, I'm all for that. Uh, certainly. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, Netflix is also bringing us um, the latest entry in the action gramps genre, which, you know, is my favorite starring Miss Mickelson. So anybody want to talk polar with me, please hit me up on Twitter. You know where to find me. Oh, oh Mads Mickelson. Right, right, right. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I, I hope that's good. I mean, I do. I love Mads Mickelson. I don't know. Have you, is it out already? I believe so. Okay, but you haven't watched it yet. No, okay. I have not. Um, okay, okay. So I, I, I will be curling up this weekend to yeah. to watch my boy. Um, but yeah, yeah all I, right. I fully expecting to love it. And uh, finally, just one last quick little uh, g- bit of uh, positive news: uh, Shira has been renewed for a second season. So we'll all hey, be hey. getting yeah, we'll all be getting more Adora, more Catra, more of Mermista's wonderful you know, quasi sullen attitude, <laughs> uh, you know, My more Scorpia. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The whole gang. So definitely, you know, more of that, more of that fantastic theme song. Um, so, you know, looking forward Listen, to that. Folks, if you, yeah, if you have not checked out she because you think like, this is a show just for kids or it can't possibly be that great. I'm not interested in this really just give yourself 25 minutes and just check out an episode because I, I promise you will enjoy it. It is just, it's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, Katra and a tux, man. Hey, now. Style goals. <laughs> hey, y'all. Did you know that we can keep bringing Feminist Frequency Radio to the airwaves because of you? It's true. If you are enjoying our show, please consider joining our podcast community at d.rip slash femfreak. It's where you'll get access to some fun perks and bonus episodes. And really, at the end of the day, you're going to help us keep bringing feminist media criticism to the airwaves. So please head on over to d.rip slash femfreak. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for that compelling and not at all warmed over entertainment news um if people don't like it they can lump it you know we'll be back on the linear game later without jeremy bear me time uh type you know reheated news but let's get into the main topic of the day which is life is strange too which i cannot wait to discuss with you yeah Uh, yeah so life is strange too by french studio don't Nod Entertainment. Am I saying that correctly, Kara? I believe so, yes. Okay, yes. so Don't Nod Entertainment is a lyrical, languid, quietly devastating narrative game 
about the journey of hardship and discovery undertaken by Mexican-American teenager Sean Diaz and his younger brother Daniel after the tragic death of their father at the hands of the police. Two chapters have been released so far of a planned five. Carol, this was a recommendation that you made for us to talk about on the podcast. I couldn't be more delighted and more grateful that you introduced this to my life. But I have to say, for the benefit of listeners who don't know, I am a complete noob when it comes to video <laughs> games. Like you, you know, stream on Twitch uh, every Thursday evening. Get on it, Twitch TV, y'all. Slash fan freak. Slash fan freak. Um, and I watch you play games, or sometimes you and Anita play games, and I am, you know, uh, quietly jealous and frustrated <laughs> because oh. I don't know what's happening. I don't have access, or I didn't have access to a console. And also, I just felt overwhelmed by what I assumed were like the barriers to entry. Um, like, I just... Sure. As, as much as Fem Freak is known for its in-depth, you know, um, and really world-changing uh, video game analysis, I never covered the video game beat, y'all. I knew nothing about it, so I just watched from the sidelines. So when you, you know, recommended this, I was like, yes, this is my chance. Anita just gifted me a PS4 because she's a little angel person. I'm going to do this. It took me... A long time to get used to that dual shot controller, y'all. But once I did, I was in. And this game was kind of perfect for someone who's not like accustomed to, you know, shoot 'em up quick action style games because it's a narrative game and it's about choices, but it's about taking your time um and 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 looking around and sort of thinking things through. So walk us through a little bit what the game is about. I mean, I gave a, a brief summary there, but tell us a little bit more about this game. Yeah, so uh, so this is uh, so it's Life is Strange two. It 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 has tangential connections to Life is Strange one, but it's a completely different main story, completely different uh, central characters, and and everything. It just takes place in the same universe, and there's the occasional allusion to things that happened in Life is Strange one, but it's not central to the story by any stretch. Um, so yeah, like uh. It you know it begins with uh, this guy you know you're playing as this guy Sean Diaz and he's hanging out with his best friend Lila and they're like planning to go to a party and so the whole first part that night and the whole first part of the game is you planning to go to the party getting uh you know snacks and drinks and some cash you know and just with things that you might need some blankets or whatever and you know you're kind of talking to your friend about this girl that you really like and who you're excited to see at the party that night and are you know is she into you is she not are you gonna like make a move are you not all that stuff and you know so it's a very effective device because it really sets you up to kind of think about oh this is you know i'm gonna go to this party tonight it's normal teenage life stuff and then it the, the game takes a very alarming very sharp turn um when you know this sort of racist so your your younger brother daniel um who's doing halloween stuff he's made like fake blood and things he gets into an altercation with this racist uh you know teenager next door he sort of spill accidentally maybe spills the fake blood on that that young man the young man just you know flips out um things get really heated you know and and Basically, uh, a, a police car stops, uh, and and you know the white cop uh, asks the Diaz kids to get down. Right, the brown kids get down. The father comes running. You know, starts pleading. You know, for, in the kids' defense, and then you know a a gunshot rings out. The cop has shot their father, um, and at this point. Um, a kind of shockwave of energy just like explodes in the area, like like just un unfettered kind of rage or horror takes kind of uh uh you know physical uh takes on physical force and you know the the police cars are flipped over things are just kind of thrown back it's this miniature wave of dis destruction and you know you come to figure out that your younger brother Daniel has some kind of telekinetic. Uh, powers that he himself is not even necessarily aware of and certainly doesn't know how to control. 
Um, you yeah, and so then the game just becomes a road trip. Uh, the two brothers, you know, Sean takes Daniel and just runs, and um, it just becomes this road trip of their adventures um, alone on the road, trying to survive, trying to uh, get food, you know, trying to find places to camp, um, and sort of trying to figure out what their long-term plan is. Uh, You know, Daniel sort of has this idea that maybe they can make their way down to this town called Puerto Lobos in Mexico, which is where their father came from. And uh, so that's sort of his plan right now is try to make their way down into Mexico. But, you know, whether whether that's going to remain his plan, whether that's going to come to pass, we don't we don't really know yet. This game um, is it does something so wonderful, which but also so harrowing because what it does is force you to recognize how your decision making um, is necessarily affected by who you are, how others' perceptions of you, what your responsibilities are, what you understand your responsibilities to be. Um, and the way that this can be something that is completely world, how each little decision can be something world changing, um, particularly for, for young people who do not have access to the same level of power or autonomy or resources, um, that, that adults have, but also that people of color and particularly, um, Mexican and Mexican American folks have, immigrants have in this country as well. So you talk about how Sean's dad, Esteban, is killed by the police. So, if this were a, a situation in which two young white kids had their father killed by police, the the reaction to it, um, the town's understanding of it, police understanding of it is going to be different, right? And also, if in fact those two young white kids had gone on the road, yes, we would absolutely still be concerned for them, but we would be concerned about them in different ways than we are for Sean and Daniel, you know? So... I found as I was making decisions, and and this is obviously deliberate, as I was making decisions, I'm trying to think the way that a, you know, 16-year-old Latinx kid would think in that situation. But there's the tension between that and me, Ebony, the 87-year-old grown-up who is safely (laughs) at home with shelter and with food. And so there are things where I'm like, oh my God, like these kids, they don't, they're not warm enough. They don't have hats and gloves, you know, they don't have shelter. So on the one hand, when you have the option, you're at this like uh, roadside gas station that has camping gear. On the one hand, I want them to like, try and steal camping gear. On the other hand, as two young brown kids out in the middle of nowhere, rural Washington, I'm like, you can't do it. So I'm like, I'm trying to keep these kids alive, (laughs) but I also don't want them shot again. This game made me anxious in the best way. But I also, I don't know how, like, if you were playing it straight through and you were obviously better at a controller than I am, um, how long it would take you to play through each individual chapter. But I had to take significant breaks often because the, the anxiety that it provoked um, immediately, once shit starts going down, occasionally became too much for me. I was worried constantly. Yeah, and to its credit, like the game does not let you forget that they are brown kids, yeah. right? They like um, there is a, a a sequence that happens. You know, you do stop at this uh, this this sort of gas station, uh, little general store at one point to try to find food and you know maybe maybe other supplies, and um, the owner, the male shop owner, eventually, you know, whether you steal anything or not, uh, you know, he he is extremely belligerent towards you. He's very suspicious of you. And he he basically straight up kidnaps Sean. Uh, Daniel runs away. Daniel like sort of escapes. But Sean is kidnapped. And, uh, you know, it turns out the, the man knows that the police are looking for you because of the, the you know, the news stories out of Seattle where, where you lived before you ran away. Um, but, you know, he straight up says things like, um, you know, it's because of people like you that we need to build that wall. He calls Sean a thug, which has become this really like racialized, you know, term that basically usually means like, you know, brown or black uh, young man. Um, so, uh, you know, he's uh, he's it's very... I appreciate that the game is 
is definitely trying to acknowledge the to some degree the country that we live in right now you know and the sentiments that are that are brewing or, or not that have been there but that are maybe have been uh stoked right the fires have been stoked and um are maybe kind of boiling over in um among white people in you know all over all over the country uh it's genuinely scary to be like on the receiving end of that um totally like undeserved on uh, just comp- you know outrageous kind of terrorizing that Sean has to that Sean experiences there yeah and you know um so I- Again, this brings me back to the notion that I am a complete video game noob, right? And so even though I work with you, even though I work with Anita, even though I know that my understanding of modern video game, the modern video game landscape is quite narrow and very out of date. Nevertheless, I have this image in my mind of like the, the archetypal video game, right? And it's like a shoot 'em up kind of action-y thing, or it's like, you know, something where you're constantly like jumping and grabbing, et cetera, right? Right? Totally. But um, it is it is the sort of thing whereby you can and maybe are encouraged to play a bit recklessly because there are no real consequences. So your character may die, um, but you'll just go back to the last save point and start mm-hmm. over again. But it doesn't affect you emotionally in the way that something like this did. I, I truly am planning to play this over again, both chapters that have been released, and see if I'm able to bring myself to make what to me seemed like more reckless decisions or and it's not just reckless decisions or impetuous kind of you know like teenage decisions but sometimes um you know having the the what i would call the benefit of a bit more ex- life experience and maturity there are conversations that i'm like you know what no don't have this conversation with daniel right now about his powers or about how our father died um, because he's not ready for he's not ready for that yet, you know. Or be kind to your younger brother. But where I actually like a sixteen year old, there are times when like I would snap. Th- it, this is amazing how I was playing this game with like four different perspectives at all times. Totally, totally, yeah, and definitely like things can be pretty dramatically different depending on the choices you make. You know, I um uh, the I watched a friend play through episode two. And at the end of his playthrough uh, of episode two, something quite horrifying happens that did not happen at the end of my playthrough of that episode because of different choices that we'd made in the midst of the episode. Um, I was, you know, like, um, episode, let's talk a bit about episode two specifically, which I was definitely surprised. It was, it did not hold back from the real heavy blows to these kids Jesus. you know yeah my partner was watching me play for a bit and uh-huh. he had to get up and walk out of the room and i think you know exactly yeah. when that happened where he was like i'm out i can't yeah. i can't watch this i was definitely i was like really surprised you know towards at the end of like the very first section something really gut-wrenching uh happens and i just was thinking my god you know poor daniel god this kid has been through the ringer, man. I mean, just all the stuff he's had to endure. Now this on top of everything else. But, you know, in, in broad strokes, uh, so episode two is is mostly about... So Daniel is has, seems to have come down with a cough. He's not, he's not doing well. So Sean makes sort of reluctantly, I think, the decision to uh, go to their grandparents' home. Uh, the parents of their mother, who just sort of dis- like abandoned them, abandoned her own parents, just kind of abandoned, you know, just dis- disappeared, like ran away from all of, from everyone and everything that she knew and um, seemingly. So there's a lot of kind of family tension there. But, you know, and while there, they meet this very imaginative kid next door named Chris, who, you know, sort of like he is the son of an alcoholic. There's actually a whole um, there was a whole free prequel to Life is Strange 2 called The Awesome Adventures of Captain Spirit, where yeah. you you play as Chris. And, you know, I don't know. You probably did not play Captain Spirit. I right? did. I, oh, you I did. did. Okay, I did. so and I, I desperately want to talk about that as well because I found that if anything harder to play um, emotionally, and I and I would say um, we'll we'll come back around to this. But one of the things that I do want to say is if you, 
hopefully I can say this without spoiling too much, but if you have certain types of like abuse in your past, this was a very hard thing to watch and make decisions in. It was, you know, I would just say like, it's, it's something, don't go into it expecting some sort of like, you know, light, fluffy, um, you know, right. <laughs> Marvel post credits kind of thing. Like some heavy shit goes down, even in just that short interstitial game. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, I will say for me personally, like I was the, a young child of an alcoholic father. I did absolutely escape into my you know, extremely elaborate imagination pretty much constantly. And so, you know, I did see a lot of myself as a young person in Chris. And and I really thought the way that the uh, Awesome Adventures of Captain Spirit lent power, you know, to Chris's imagination as something that, something kind of wonderful, you know, uh, the way that his imaginative uh, musings take on a kind of life, within the the episode or the experience uh, you know was was great I, I mean i think it it really kind of for me as, as harrowing as some aspects of it are with the the with your father being um an alcoholic in the story um it also did for me capture that 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 kind of wonderful feeling of being a kid and just being able to make believe just about anything and to fully kind of fully just commit to it and really imagine it and play, play it out in your mind and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Like I I think um, both games or, you know, both chapters and then the awesome adventures of captain spirit. It is, it's so clear that these are children. And, you know, in the case of Sean, a teenager, but they, they very much read and have the affect of young people, you know? And so what you're getting at with the way that a child can find, you know, um, sanctuary in their imagination when the actual world outside is just, you know, something that's, that's very dangerous for them or incredibly tough to navigate, you know, the, we aren't looking at the way like an adult would, you know, exist in that space and the way that they might try to get out or, you know, withstand um, the that kind of relationship. We're, we're looking at the way that a child would do it. And it felt very real and authentic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, so throughout episode two, I have to say I, as Sean, like uh, playing a Sean, I really felt like Daniel was being super reckless with his powers, yeah. right? I was like, oh my God, Daniel, what the F are you doing? I know, right? You know, like his, he, because it's like, there's a moment where at their grandparents' house, he, Daniel, like is tidying up the plates, right? But it's a, their grandmother, Claire, is right there. She just has her back turned. I mean, he is taking so many risks and like, I'm actually worried, like, Daniel, like the, the the power could kind of go to his head, you know, that he won't as a young person understand why he has to really keep it under control and not kind of just just use it as a as a on, you know, as a toy or as like some like party trick or whatever, um, because, yeah, like um, it, it, anyway, I, I was repeatedly alarmed throughout this episode at the Daniel just making making sort of flagrant use of his of his powers. <laughs> well, especially because like later, and not that much later, you know, Sean and Daniel are complaining about how much cleaning they have to do at their grandparents' house. And literally what they have to do is do their laundry yeah. and uh, tidy up their room. And they're complaining about it. And I'm like, you were just living in an abandoned shack in the woods, <laughs> shitting in a bucket, eating ravioli for three meals a day. You know, like a little bit more gratitude, but I get it. You know, you there. This again, kind of the, the kid mind. Um, uh, I I have to say, having played um, by you know recommendation, the Awesome Adventures of Captain Spirit before then playing the second chapter of Life is Strange Two, um, I was I was a little bit you know, disoriented by the shift in the, the characterization of Claire, um, the, their, their grandmother, because she, the, the, um, the sense we get of her in Captain Spirit is of someone who is so soft and so caring and so giving. We don't see the side of her that then her grandsons are going to see, um, 
And, you know, that that makes sense because her relationship to them is different. And it's largely shaped by her relationship to her her daughter who has cut ties with the entire family, not just her sons, um, but with her parents as well. But I, I there was a sadness that um, that Claire wasn't that kind of just like mama bear soft figure for them to rush to and get hugs and be taken care of without any hard edges. Because after they have to leave Brody... And chapter one, the uh, yeah, the Seth, the Seth Rogen, the, the character exactly. who would be played by Seth Rogen if this were a live action thing. Exactly. <laughs> who was just so wonderful. You know, yeah. um, you know, I was hoping for another kind of Brody like figure um, in the character of Claire. So I was I was disappointed. But I, I recognize that, yeah, you know, people are, are complicated and relationships have nuance. And even someone as, you know, with as many problems as um, uh Chris's dad, you know, uh, the the alcoholic who's still mourning his his wife, as many problems as he has, he's not just an up and up villain. Right. You absolutely know, like the not. game doesn't doesn't want us to see him as just a villainous character. And so I do, you know, think that it, it's smart in a way that the the picture that we get of him in the adventures of Captain Spirit, it's we don't get that background in chapter two itself. Yes. You know, because I yeah. think it would affect how we how we see him and the decisions that we make. Definitely. And so, you know, one thing that just philosophically I like about the Life is Strange game. So uh, the season one did this um, as well. And season two is certainly carrying on the tradition is that um, these games often will just give you moments like places where like your character will just sit still in a place and maybe there's like a maybe there's a song playing and it'll it'll use different camera angles to um and it you know even when things are bad for Sean and Daniel like this game really is is very interested in in taking its time and giving you the player time to just kind of stop and be like be in a moment for a while to just be and i love I I do love that it it the way that it uses different camera angles and and things during those moments because it you know it really helps give you a sense of the character existing in a very specific space right and you know you you it makes you think more about like the um just the environment they're in the decor the 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 warmth of it or the 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 coldness of it the just the texture of it you know all of those things really come through and and um and I just love that um yeah I did too I I even though it took me quite a bit of time to get used to maneuvering and you know um uh kind of using the camera you know to get like a 360 you know uh view of things i appreciated the time that i was given to figure that out in the game and also the fact that you know because i would periodically stop and then go back and do things differently um the ability to discover like new like things to check out like the the game is so giving so if you walk straight, you know, through just like looking ahead, you will see some things. But if you stop and look up to the sky or, you know, crouch down to the ground, you know, you will find other things. And maybe they advance the narrative and maybe they don't. Maybe it's just something interesting that Sean sees to look at or that Daniel is picking up, you know, like maybe it's more pine cones, you know, or and maybe it's just something funny. But you you do get the sense that there's a complete world there. Um, and, and that you, you want to kind of immerse yourself in it and the game will give you the opportunity to immerse yourself in it. And there are, you know, scenes in this game that are absolutely stunningly rendered, just beautiful. And because Sean is an artist, occasionally the game will give you the opportunity to, to draw these things. And so you will stop and it will make you, you know, hold a button and observe and kind of sketch the lines of a landscape and then draw them yourselves in his sketchbook. I absolutely love that. Yeah, I do too. And, and, you know, probably, I guess probably what I love most about the Life is Strange games is, is there focus on on human connection? You know, I think I think that the meeting, you know, meeting Brody uh, in episode one was a very is a very memorable kind of experience. Like that is this kind of powerful, you know, just this connection. This happens, you know, this sort of happenstance 
connection that of the sort that maybe happens when you're on the road, right? When you're traveling. And and my favorite, even though we we don't get very much of her, my favorite character in episode in episode two is uh, this young woman named Cassidy, who is this musician uh, who's uh, strumming a guitar at the Christmas market. Um, And you can like just stand there and listen to her play her song. Beautiful song. song. Yeah, like a really beautiful song. And, uh, and just like, for somehow, like, even though the, the conversation between Sean and Cassidy is, is quite brief you know i really feel like i i'm i'm starting to get a sense of who cassidy is and uh you know so so she and her like male traveling companion they just they like ride the rails you know they're they're just they're travelers they're on the road and um and but she does say that um that they're going to humboldt county for work and if the if the tiny little teaser post-credit like glimpse that we get is uh, any indication it, it does seem that Sean and Daniel may end up at a pot farm presumably <laughs> presumably working alongside Cassidy so I'm you know I'm I'm like I'm already looking forward to learning more about her you know g- getting seeing how that connection develops I, I just feel like the the relationships the connections the both the fleeting ones and the lasting ones you know in in this series um are are so great and it's it's just it's great to play a game that is so focused on human connections and relationships um that sees them as really uh meaningful and important and um yeah so you know yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just when, yeah. going back to uh to brody in mm. chapter one i i did honestly cry after that scene was over um you know i was so worried for the boys because after they make their escape um, from from the redneck gas station owner, and then they stumble upon Brody and his station wagon in the woods, and and Sean has had a, an interaction with him earlier in the game, and he seems like just you know a cool guy, discount Seth Rogen. Um, but nevertheless, having just come out of that very harrowing situation, I wondered: is the game going to throw me another you know curveball and have him be some sort of predator that they have to escape from? Because at that point, you know, all bets are off. So the fact that he wasn't that he was so caring and able and willing to listen, that he was just such an honest, authentic person. And that, you know, when he talks about the kind of small kindnesses that we can all do for each other that can make all the difference in the world. I'm not ashamed to say that I cried, ladies and gentlemen. My small ounce of human emotion, I it overflowed. And and even though of course there de- there is conflict and there needs to be conflict and I'm glad yeah. that I'm glad that there are characters in this in this series who represent the the awful shit that we're dealing with right now and you know I am I am so glad that that fundamentally this game you know is about the the yeah as I said the beauty of of authentic connections between you know between human beings who are fundamentally good and fundamentally trying to to help each other in in this often cruel, harsh, beyond understanding world where, you know, any horrible thing could happen at any moment. Yeah. Can't recommend it enough. Do yourself a favor and have a friend like Anita who gets you a PS4. <laughs> once you've gotten that done, you want to get yourself a season pass to Life is Strange 2 yeah. uh, because when the new chapters come out, you're, you're definitely going to want to play them. I, I, two, as many thumbs up as I can give to okay. this game. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so now, once again, what's your deal? We give the people what what's they're asking deal? for. Let's deal? share with what's them what's your deal? what we're freaking out about what's this week. Carolyn, Yo. tell me, what's your deal? I, yes, the return of everybody's favorite <laughs> segment, What's Your Deal? Completely different from What's Your Freak Out? Um, so I am super late to the party on, on this one. I admit it, you know, but... Um, I, you know, e- each night here that I've been uh, hanging out at Anita's place, uh, for, uh, you know, I decided, you know what? I watched the first few episodes of Killing Eve. I I sort of appreciated them, but they didn't really fully grab me. Uh, but, you know, maybe I should maybe I should give the show another chance. And so and man, like 
I, for me, Woo-hoo! I think episode three is really when things start just clicking Holy and shit. just the yeah. and the show just starts firing on all cylinders. And because then you know once the cat and mouse game is truly like a foot, it is just nonstop, right? It is just one. Uh, I mean. Uh, thrilling uh, or heart-wrenching or, you know, uh, encounter after another. I mean, I love, I loved, I mean, my God, just the the dynamic between uh, Sandra O's character, Eve Palastri, and, um, and uh, Villanelle. I mean, there's two women who, you know, like, res- uh, respect each other in some twisted way, but also, like, they're, it's a fundamentally antagonistic relationship and, like, I mean, you know, but they're both so intelligent and it's just fascinating to watch them p- pursue each other and try to outsmart each other and everything. Uh, I was a little worried, I, you know, I don't think I was a little worried that Eve was going to like, like let herself kind of be seduced by right. Villanelle, which I'm like, I, you know, I wanted to scream at the TV like, do you remember that she murdered Bill? Like, do you remember that? <laughs> oh, and that um, was so brutal. Um, but thankfully, you know, I, 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 you know, I, uh, it's just a delicious show. I mean, there was, those relationships are so great. Um, and both lead actors are fantastic. You know, I think Jodie Comer is fantastic as just, you know, I mean, at playing the kind, the, the, the fact that, that Villanelle really enjoys being, who she is like she just loves it um like had the joy that she takes in being this kind of whimsical uh, killer you know um and not being bound by like the rules of of ordinary society um so anyway yes um you've all probably you know heard about it uh, or maybe you probably watched it already months ago but i'm throwing my recommendation into the into the hat for killing Eve if you haven't already watched it you know give it a chance maybe as I said like if if the first few episodes don't grab you stick with it and I think you'll I think it'll you'll find that it really uh really just starts um flying around the third episode oh my god such such a good show I'm so glad it's gonna be back for season two and that Carolyn Martin's my favorite my wife Fiona Shaw will be back on my screen um, so what am I freaking out about? Uh, yeah, just as a reminder, we are recording this, um, fairly close to the time when old Roger Stone was arrested. But by the time this comes out, who knows what other news will have happened related to, you know, Trump and his cabal of fucking circus clowns. Um, but so having heard the news on, uh, Friday, January 25th, that Roger Stone, self-identified dirty trickster, political fixer, uh, had been arrested. I watched the Netflix documentary, Get Me Roger Stone, which is a sort of chronicle of the rise, um, fall, and then rise again of this, this political fixture who has been around since uh, the Nixon administration uh, when he was, you know, quite young and just is known for kind of either pioneering or refining all of the dirty political tricks in the book uh, in aid of a conservative agenda. And so the the picture we get of this, you know, kind of roguishly amoral character is fascinating. But what is most fascinating to me is that, as I said, I watched it this weekend, and it was the same weekend that a lot of people were watching the the Ted Bundy documentary on Netflix. <laughs> and there was this, you know, sort of furor over the fact that there was a significant number of people who were like, God, Ted Bundy was hot. And then people rightfully saying, you know, like, I need you to question your life choices here. Think about what you're saying. Mm-hmm. There is a way in which we are fascinated by white male badness um, and we allow ourselves to be charmed by it um, to to write them endless checks to harm people um, to give them the the ability to write their own mythology into legend and fact in a way that we do for absolutely no one else and so Roger Stone um, both as a person and as a lobbyist from his firm, um, Black Manafort Stone, you know, is responsible for lobbying for some of the worst dictators 
um, on the planet. This this man is directly responsible for people's lives being lost. And yet in this, this documentary that I watched, Get Me Roger Stone, you have people relating these stories while chuckling to themselves over uh-huh. how funny he can be or, you know, how, you know, much of a dandy he can be he, over the fact yeah. that he's got a Richard Nixon tattoo. And he's it's such, just, a, he's he's such a card. Yeah, he's a, he's a character. And, and, <laughs> and I just think like, you know, whether it's Roger Stone or whether it's serial killer Ted Bundy, we, you know, are allowing ourselves a certain amount of uh, emotional and psychic distance uh, on these on these monsters you know, and no, I'm not saying Roger Stone is a serial killer, but he's a horrible person, um, you know, in, in a way that we are not fascinated by any other form of villainy, you know, um, yeah. and it was it's just it's fascinating to me. The, the documentary Get Me Roger Stone, it's, it's very interesting. There are parts of it that are um, entertaining, but it's it's fascinating to watch, you know, these longtime uh, political journalists, other uh, political fixtures, you know, even if they are not conservatives or not members of the GOP themselves, sort of saying like, yeah, I've known Roger forever. He's been such a character. Ha ha ha, that guy. And you're like, think about what you are saying. Think about what we are allowing him to do because he puts a gloss of, you know, sort of showmanship on his 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 evil. Um, but yes, it's, it's a really interesting and it's very well done, uh, documentary at the same time that, you know, I was kind of horrified by the people who are in it. Uh, so get me Roger Stone, check it out on Netflix. Um, if you want to share what you're freaking out about, if you want to tell us what your deal is, (laughs) Scott, I'm so smooth, submit your own freak out and it might make it onto the show. Just head on over to femfreak.com slash Freak out. That's F R E Q O U T. Okay, that is our show. You can catch us back here every single Wednesday. But of course, the fun is not over for everyone. Stay tuned for our bonus episode, which is only available to backers of this podcast, which you can be. Just head over to d.rip slash femfreak. Now, before we head into the bonus, I want to say that next week on uh, Femme Freak Radio, we will be globetrotting with the new Netflix revamp of Carmen Sandiego. So make sure you are subscribed to the show so you know exactly when that episode drops. And if you are dying for more jibber-jabber in your life, tune into our Star Trek Discovery recap freecast, which is back. That's the show that Anita and I do uh, talking about latest episodes of Star Trek Discovery. And it's basically uh, just being mind blown by how ambitious <laughs> that show is and how far it falls. Um, you can <laughs> find it wherever all the best podcasts are kept. If you are enjoying this show, please rate and review us on iTunes and tell your friends too. You can check out all of our work and all of our other podcasts at feministfrequency.com. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at FemFreak to stay up to date on all the news. You can find us on Twitter uh, at Anita Sarkeesian for Anita Caro. I am at Carolyn Michelle. I am at Somebody Save the Babies. Find me on Twitter. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. We got technical support by Sarah Norales, production assistance by Taylor Simmons, and art by Jamie Varon. We will see y'all next week. Later. <laughs> <laughs>